1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And hey, this is Anthony. And, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 350, Listener's Top 20. we like to thank all of our wonderful Patreon backers for helping us bring us a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back and we are so glad to be back with you this week because we are in fact having one of our most favorite episode, which is listeners top 20. If you've listened to us at any point, usually you're listening to us talking about our top 20, 30, 100, 150, God only knows how, how far <laughs> we keep going. But for this episode, it's your top 20. Right, Anthony?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we do this every year. And, you know, it's such a lot of fun because we run a contest, we put it out there, we ask y'all to give us your top 10 games, and then we kind of aggregate it together and make this top 20 list. And so one of my favorite things about this process, other than giving away the game that we're going to give away to the winner of the contest, which we'll announce next week. I know. Is it too late?
1: Is it too late? Can I, can I, can I do it? Can I put in? Can I put in for this?
0: You you might own all these. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but my favorite part is going through the list, right? So I get to see every vote everybody did. And there's this year we had 800 different games were mentioned across all of the top 10 list. Whoa. Yeah. And <laughs> keep in mind, a lot of those games are mentioned multiple times. So because that's how you get a top 20. It is. So That was a lot of fun. There's like crazy stuff in there. Some games I've never heard of and I'm looking up and I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. I've heard a lot of games, a lot of games. So it, it yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Thank you to everybody who participated. Absolutely. And we will be picking a winner this week. I'll reach out to you if you are the lucky uh, game winner based on the 20 games on this list. And we'll announce it next week. So excellent.
1: Awesome stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely your podcast. And we're so glad that you're joining us here this week because we could talk about games you love because that's awesome. And then, you know, every once in a while, there's that troll game. Right, Anthony? There's what's what's that troll (laughs) game that everyone talks about? yeah yeah every you... year monopoly makes it into the
0: top 50 i don't know who are you people who are you i don't i don't know who like the 10 people voting for monopoly are but knock it off don't do
1: that no we're, we're not i don't abused. believe you <laughs> even people who you know play monopoly honestly they're like uh... <laughs> yeah it's, it's not your favorite game what do you no. know no, no, no. I don't I don't even care. Like every once in a while on TV you see people like they own like a monopoly collection. It's like 500 games of Monopoly. Like still not your favorite game. I don't care. What, <laughs> I don't care what you did, man. Like you decided you want to collect you wanted to collect something. I understand that. I got Funko's. I get it. But that's not your favorite thing. I'm sorry. Just can't. No. Not yeah, going to do it's it. It's just not. You're lying. Stop lying. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's the baseline spoiler alert it's not on the top 20 do not need no. to worry no if it made the top
0: 20 we might have to make an executive decision although it might be funny <laughs> if i leave it on there and just say it and don't tell chris it's coming i don't know oh, no we'll figure it out <laughs> Oh no i don't i
1: gotta wait a minute i have power to stop this podcast it, <laughs> i'm gonna pull this side this podcast to the side of the road and stop this and to have a talking to you with you people no <laughs> monopoly no the landlord game that it was originally based on and this wonderful woman had, had created it way back in the day and had it stolen and co-opted which is really weird and twisted and like would make an amazing movie that game I would play this one not so much that being said <laughs> we will get to that list in our feature review so hang on with us it's going to be the best list ever because it's your list so just hang on we're going to get we're going to get there we're getting there but Anthony, until we get there, we want to get to the other thing that our listeners are talking about. What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week this week, uh, courtesy of Reddit.
0: I saw this question over there, and I was Ooh. like, "That's a great question." I'm going to take it. Reddit person, that person does a thing. I'm telling you, Reddit. Reddit. Sometimes he he's a cranky dude, but sometimes he's got ideas. Yeah, uh, drop it. So th- this week's question was: When do you decide to buy an expansion? As soon as it's released, <laughs> after you've played it once, when it's on Kickstarter, because of course. Uh, um, we already know Chris's answer to this question, so I don't Yes,
1: care. the, the <laughs> answer is before before you play the base game. <laughs> <laughs> before you know it exists. It's all on pre-order. I used to go into my
0: I used to go into my local game store and I would have games like Imperial Assault was one where I'm like, Just put me on subscription. He's like, for anything? I'm like, for anything. If it says Star Wars on it, give it to me. He's like, you don't want to check before? I'm like, yeah, just all of it. Uh, When the game store owner is making fun of you, it's not a good sign. So (laughs) um, we got a lot of good answers here. I can't read all of them because they're a little lengthy. People have a process that they go through when they're paying for, you know, choosing expansions, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want to see all of these, there's a good. 15 or so, like, lengthy, interesting answers here. Nice. Head over to the Facebook page and check them out. Um, they're all up there. Very but sweet. just knock out a few here. Uh, and thank you again to everybody who responded. We've got Tommy says, one, play the base game multiple times to make sure it has legs. Two, expansion has to expand the story. For example, New Spirits for Spirit Island. And then three, blows my mind, must be able to acquire from a local game store or online vendor. He has never backed a Kickstarter and never will. I I didn't even believe him. And I'm like, no, I guess it's possible. But that's so many games you've not backed. And then some of the, I mean, most of them you can get in retail eventually, I guess. But, whew, Tommy, you have
1: supreme willpower, my friend. <laughs> so, Tommy is the chosen one. We, we, we found the chosen one. We've been looking for many years. Now yeah. we know. Mm-hmm. If if we ever decide we're
0: ready for that intervention, we gotta call Tommy. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> it's got the magic touch.
0: Yeah. Uh all right, so Stephanie says if it's a game we love and want more of, and we uh-huh. hear the expansion is good, then we are interested. Uh they rarely buy expansions though. It, some exceptions to this were Champions of Midgard Big Big Box and Istanbul Big Box. Uh and they did trade to get Orleans with trade and intrigue. Um, but can count how many expansions they have on just a few fingers. So everybody's got willpower out here. I don't know what's going on. Let's see wow. if we can find people more like us. I <laughs> don't know.
1: <laughs> are we the drama? Are we the problem? Like, seriously. <laughs> I think we are. Oh my God. <laughs> this is really embarrassing now. I can't look, can't look directly at the screen. Why do we do this on video? This is not <laughs> a video project. This was purely audio. We're supposed to be anonymous. The heck, man. Come on. All right, well. David's uh, got you back here. David says, as soon as I
0: own a game, every expansion should follow, regardless of the actual need for it. Five to six player expansions when I only play two player games and are still must, much purchase must purchases. So, uh, he knows it doesn't make sense except David, it does. We get you <laughs> We're on the same. One of, page. of us.
1: One of us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Um, Tom says if it's on Kickstarter, uh, do, Doesn't always choose to buy the expansion, but if it's part of the deal, we'll go in on it. I think Mm -hmm. we all know how that is. Yeah. Uh, Outside of Kickstarter, I'll buy an expansion if I really like the base game and play it enough to warrant something new or if it has been deemed essential. So essential expansions are automatically in Underwater Cities, Terraforming Mars. uh, And then all of the Age of Steam maps apparently are also okay.
1: Cool. Got those.
0: Nice. Yeah. And then uh, one more here. David says, uh, the answer for me is that it depends. If I love a game, it's probably on automatic pre-order. And if the game is on Kickstarter and I'm into it, I probably back it out of FOMO. Yep. (laughs) Uh, When I first came into the hobby, I would generally only back it once I had played the base game quite a bit and I could see what the expansion would add. Sadly, now it's more of a reflexive action. So I think David's answer kind of reflects where I'm at. When I first started, I was very much like, I want to make sure I'm going to play the content before I buy it, because they're yeah. expensive. And now it's just, especially because I've been conditioned by companies like Z-Man and Fantasy Flight, they're like, we're going to release an expansion, there's like 300 copies, if you don't get it, it's out of print for 10 years, and then you got to buy the deluxe version to get all the stuff. Uh, Ultimate Railroads. So, I'm like, I'll cool. just buy it reflexively, just to have it. Like, I have three more expansions for Clinic on the way. I have not even gone through all the modules I have for Clinic now, and there's like Ten and I'm gonna have another thirty. I don't need forty expansions for
1: clinic. What am I doing? But <laughs> it's a good game. But I don't need forty modules. It's crazy. I know. Like I don't. I haven't even bought the last expansion. You sent me the link, and I'm like, I uh, I, I got the last one and I backed the last Kickstarter. But I'm just like, what am I? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, how many possible things could you have inside a hospital? I mean, like. What are we missing? Like even the first game, the deluxe version of it seemed excessive. And now it's just like more. I don't, I don't know what to do with more. I just don't. I know that first
0: extension had zombies already there. You already got to zombies on expansion
1: one. We're up to number five. I think there's five. I don't, what else is there? You've already gotten to zombies. What are you doing? Like, yeah. I mean, is there, it's like literally, is there Cthulhu in there? Like, what are we missing? Cause I don't, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like there's fire extinguishers and there's teleporters and there's like, I don't, I just, <laughs> if you, if yeah. you know, please let us know because I don't know it's, it's a thing. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well,
0: thank you to everybody else who responded again. I'm sorry if I didn't read your answer. A lot of really good answers on here, lengthy ones, detailed, and we really appreciate that. Uh, if, if you're listening and
1: want to read them all, check out the Facebook, they're all up there. Yeah, again, remember please, Facebook and Twitter for our question of the day. And again, obviously there's so much good stuff up there. So please jump over there, take a look, comment, subscribe, smash the like button, all those kind of crazy things. But most importantly, talk to your fellow gamers out there or talk to us, because you gotta talk us down. I don't know what's going on these days. Everyone's more is is far, far better well adjusted than we are. So yeah, thanks, thanks for that. don't don't feel awkward at all now but uh speaking of awkward anthony let's let's imagine a situation where i don't know you wanted a board game and you didn't have it yet right, right, right. some people might call it an acquisition disorder why don't just why don't you tell us about your acquisition disorder this week it's so much i just oof. It's been a long fall, you guys,
0: and I'm, a, yes. I'm in a new city and there's disease everywhere. So I haven't played a lot of games and yet more games keep showing up in the mail. And then I go on Kickstarter. And I'm like, that's kind of cool looking. And I'm like,
1: what am I doing?
0: <laughs> and I blame the podcast, but it would happen anyways. It, it would happen anyways. I so, hear you. Uh, the game this week that I'm looking at like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I might end up backing is called Steam Up, a feast for a feast of dim sum. And the reason this one kind of shot up the list is because it it got a plug from Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, Quentin was all about it. They did a preview. Uh, The game itself is about dim sum collection, and like table presence wise, it looks amazing. You have a a you know this round, it's a square board with like a round center, and then all the little dim sum. Uh, and excuse me, cause I don't actually know like the specific terms for everything. So I don't want to sound stupid here, but all the little dim sum plate cover things, uh, and they stack up and you add all the little different types of food, which are little acrylic pieces into the, the steamers and you're trying to collect the most stuff, right? So you're quite literally building out a dim sum plate here on, on the central table, uh, it's not represented by cards. It's not represented by tokens. It's little plastic bits. You stack up. It's really cute. Um, the game itself looks to be fairly light, you know, less than an hour. Uh, it's been a finalist and award winner and a bunch of like independent game design competitions. Uh, the designers are all new first time designers out of Canada. So they're not, you know, they don't have a pedigree necessarily, but they've been shopping the game around and people played it. And obviously a lot of good things have come out of that. So, I, it's It looks very interesting. So the gameplays, you are going to be playing as one of the 12 Chinese Zodiac animals. Each of them has a unique ability. So it's variable player powers and all that goodness. Um, you have the steamers in front of you and you can you know feast on the dim sum that's in front of you based on the board position. Uh, so it's going to rotate around. Like I said, there's that round piece in the middle of the square. And so it moves around like a dim sum <laughs> table. It's so cool. Uh, and then you're going to gain and spend the food tokens. And, and those are going to go into you know, the centerpieces. So um, it looks very cute. It looks like a lot of fun. I'm super interested to uh, check this one out. So uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. I think it's up there for another nine days or so. Um, if you want the little fancy uh, <laughs> 3D bits, it's the deluxe version of the game. If you get yeah. the base version of the game, it's, $47, which seems not terribly insane for what you're getting. It's probably a little high, but with prices the way they are now, it's probably about right. Mm-hmm. But if you want the deluxe version, which of course you do, or on Kickstarter, what are you doing? Back the deluxe, yeah. uh, $63. And so that's like the spot finish on the box. You get the custom molds for the 75 little bits. They're squishy. So that's fun. Um, you get like <laughs> thicker cardboard boards for your animals you get little meeples for each of the animals those are very cute looking as well um and just general upgrades across the board so yeah i'm, I'm super interested in this it's, it's really cute it looks interesting it's a unique theme i love food themed games like mm-hmm. but a lot of them end up having timers in them for some reason yeah. they're all about making the food? And I'm like, I don't want to be stressed out about food. It's food. It's just relaxing, <laughs> right? Uh, this one looks like it's more on the latter end. So I'm going to keep my eye on this. I might check this one out.
1: I looked at this, but again, everything... Again, the gameplay I'm sure is fine, but it really is one of those games that I can't imagine if you're going to back this, that you're not backing the you know the full-size super right. deluxe kind of version of this just because I think I, I, it's the aesthetic of it all, right? It's, it's, it's just being able to stack up all the dim sum and having all the different pieces at, at play. So I can't, I just can't, I'm sorry. Like, again, it, there's, you know, there's, there's certain, you know, aesthetics to games that are, I, I think are just necessary. I just think that it, the game certainly loses something and if the game is is there to thematically depict something, I think you do need the pieces. And I think in this case you do. And it's just a little too expensive for that. This is just another one of these perfect Kickstarter games where it's like the, the animation, the artwork, um, it's all very good. Can't see backing it despite like, again, you you get those stackable steamers, like these really nice mm-hmm. wooden pieces here. And then to put the little cardboard tokens inside of them is just like yeah. I don't like I don't know why. Why would you do? That? <laughs> just like you need the squishies, yeah. You yeah, do need right. the squishies, and it it just plays it plays well into the game because you know just just to be able to pull the squishies out of the you know the steamer trays and just no, come on, no, no. So yeah, I mean, I just it's just a little again. It's one of those situations where like. If it was somewhat reasonably priced or wasn't on Kickstarter, the 3D components would be and the game would be reasonably priced. But in this case, it's just it's a little much, um, but it's hard, it's it's sad, actually. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's hard to say, too, because it, it is a lot of money, right? Because with the shipping is like 20 bucks because they're yeah. shipping out of Canada. So it, it's a lot of money to get here for the deluxe edition. You end up paying $84 total. Mm hmm. But it is a first time company. So you do wonder, like, sure, is, is that part of it? Did they expect it to be this successful when they were pricing it out? Who knows? Um, it's also hard to know right now how much of pricing is taking into account supply chain issues in general. Like, I feel sure. like a lot of there is a lot of inflation happening right now in the world, let alone on Kickstarter. So I don't know what's a reasonable price for a game right now. But you're right. $84. You're like, oh, I don't know. That's it's a it's, tough sell.
1: And it's hard too because, like you said, you want it, like Kickstarter is there too, and you want to support for first time designers. But when you're paying a lot of money for a game, it's really hard to justify that cost because you're worried that it might fall through because it is a first time designer. So it's just that is like very true. Yeah, half of this and half of the other. Um, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, Kickstarter that is, I guess, <laughs> in some ways the opposite of this is Fantasy Flight because they produce everything and also are kind of like on the edge of falling apart any second. But nonetheless, they produce everything and you will get it. But again, it's one of those situations where eh, you never know because, you know, issues. Well, I want to talk about a game that I never thought that I would be particularly interested in. And that's honestly because it's Cthulhu, man. Uh, this is unfathomable. This is the game that's basically the Cthulhu version of Battlestar Galactica. So Battlestar Galactica was kind of this really interesting like moment in time and confluences of forces where somehow a sci-fi IP with all of the properties, all of the legal things were aligned, and they actually made a... Outstanding game. Like, unnet like it should not have happened because it was an IP, it was a traitor mechanic, so it had some social deduction to it. And again, the you know, you're trying to, to depict these complicated political machinations, but also at the same time, space battles. And and somehow Fantasy Flight did this, you know, like again, a really phenomenal job about being able to put it all together and then having you know, increasingly successful expansions that made the game even better. And then it went out of print, of course, because of course it did. So being that everyone is freely allowed to use Cthulhu, which seems like in some ways Cthulhu's plan to begin with, that somehow if there's enough Cthulhu in the world, it will raise Cthulhu from the the deep. (laughs) But unfathomable. Uh, is all about the passengers and crew of the SS Atlantica, this maiden, I, I, I guess, sail, this kind of titanic type of ship, where it's all about this traitor mechanic again, where you may be human or you may be a hybrid. You might be one of these Deep One you know, minions that is trying to sink the ship as two of the Deep Ones, you know, attack it from the outside. So again, if you ever play Battlestar Galactica, this is pretty much the same where the Cylons were attacking. But in this case, it's Mother Hydra and Father Dagon. And they're trying to take the ship from the outside. And then again, obviously, if you are one of the hybrids, you are trying to sabotage the ship from the inside so it sinks and doesn't get across to Boston. But if you're only humans, you're trying to save the ship and obviously all that kind of fun stuff. So for this kind of mechanic, this works really well. This is like a study in Emerald back in the day where it was very similar kind of trade mechanic, but the Battlestar Galactica theme, you know, as far as like not knowing your feller passengers so much and how they have their own kind of like, uh let's, let's, let's say is like, I wouldn't say dastardly, <laughs> but they have their own agenda. Now, so it's it's really a fun mechanic. It's a well-done production here. And again, Fantasy Flight does deliver. So Unfathomable, uh, it's out there. <laughs> Just be very careful because it's another <laughs> Cthulhu game. So maybe it's like, I don't know, like Beetlejuice or Candyman. If you say it three times or if you produce 300 versions of it, it actually comes true. So the, uh, the rulebook is up. So you could take a look at it. If you've never played the Battlestar Galactica game, or if you were interested in any kind of these trading mechanics, I highly recommend taking a look at Unfathomable. All right. Yeah. It, this one's hard for me. Like,
0: I love Battlestar Galactica. I really wanted them to re-theme it. But this is the absolute last theme I would have asked for. And it makes perfect sense the way they did it. it. It's perfectly integrated. You're like, oh, man, they nailed it on the theme. I don't want this. I don't want to play it. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Could have been anything else. <coughs> and I would have been in on it. And that's me speaking for me, because there's millions of people who are ex- super excited about this, and good for them. I'm, I'm glad they get a chance to play, because Battlestar was amazing. But I'm disappointed, because I wanted to get it, and now I cannot. <laughs> so.
1: How many LCG Cthulhu things do you have? How many? Okay, but here's the thing. <laughs> You're right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know. <coughs> I, I just love the one. Everyone just... Clip out where Anthony says I'm right and just use that in all your future TikToks. That's all I'm asking, right? <laughs> I want to see that right. blow up where just Anthony goes, you're, you're right. I'm just That's all I'm asking for in life. Simple, simple, simple. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Check out those games because, again, crazy, fun things that you might be interested in. Um, some are more squishy than others, but, you know, both are <laughs> from the sea. So, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe one of those hybrid fish people could end up in a steam tray. Who knows? That's possible too. Actually, uh oh. I'm giving them ideas. That's gonna be the next that's gonna be the next food game. It's gonna be Cthulhu One One oh, no. million percent. What are you doing? No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Cut this. Cut this from this podcast. It'll be like a sushi market with Cthulhu in the back. No. It's no good. Go. <laughs> it's where Cthulhu eats you. <laughs> Don't eat fish. They're friends, especially since their friends are Cthulhu, because eventually you'll end up on the sushi market. All right, so those are the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy. They should pick them up. Those games are a play. They should sit down and play them. Those games are dodge. Avoid them. Those games are the dreaded burn, and they should be burned and dropped to the deepest part of the sea. Anthony, what do you have up for us this week?
0: All right, so I got out to the table uh, and and worked my way through Cocopelli. This is a game from Stefan Feld. It was on Kickstarter sometime last year, I think. It was, yeah. um, From Queen Games. And it was like they ran their big, huge, give us $400 for all Stefan Feld (laughs) stuff. And then like two months later, they're like, also, we have this other game that we did not deluxify at all. But if you want it, here
1: you go. (laughs) It was fantastic. Um, I was like, and, "What are you? What are you doing? Why?" why? <laughs> I just threw money at you. I have no more money to throw at you.
0: I know. Yeah. It's, and so I backed it because I was getting all things stuff Feld. They've broken that now, so they're going to save me money in the future. Like I wouldn't. Well, we'll get to my review on Coccapelli, but it's it was very much a well. It's stuff Feld, so I have to back it, and that's why yes. I backed it. No, right? I, I, I didn't even I, I know hear what that. it was. Right. So, <laughs> gameplay.
1: Let's talk yeah, about yeah, gameplay, because yeah. that's sure, the point of
0: sure. the game, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, there is There are 16 different types of cards in the game, right? Yes. These each represent ceremonies. Uh, so there are 16 of them. You're going to play with 12. And there, each of those 12 ceremonies is going to have cards that you're going to put into your deck, along with some Cocopelli cards, which are wilds. Right. So you shuffle up your deck and have 36 cards in your deck. And then you are going to draw five to start. Mm -hmm. But in the future, if you want to draw cards, it's an action to do so. On your turn, you have two actions, five options with which to do stuff. And so you can draw cards, start a new ceremony, which means placing a card down for the first time. Um, As long as there is not already a ceremony of that type in your play area. Your play area, and this is interesting, you have a player board in front of you with four spaces on it, but your play area also includes the two locations on either side to the left and the right of you. So you can play cards onto your opponent's boards. Mm. You can't start a ceremony on their boards unless you have a special power in play, but you can play cards over there, which there's reasons you might want to do that. Um, You can also play cards onto existing ceremonies Mm -hmm. because that's how you complete the ceremonies. Um, Or you can cancel a ceremony if you decide you don't want the cards out there anymore. So you, you basically are just cycling through your deck. You're trying to get these cards out. You're trying to complete different ceremonies. When you complete a ceremony, which is placing four cards on it, you will score points based on the ceremonies in the middle of the table. So you have all, 10, 12 of those ceremonies that are out there, uh, depending on player count. And you'll have victory points stacked on top of them. So the first person to complete one gets four points. Second person gets three. After that, you get one. Uh, the And that's basically the game, right? That's all you're doing. You're just trying to cycle through these, get these all out. The game ends when those ceremonies are complete in the middle or someone's deck is empty and they can't draw cards in the future, right? Um, so if they get through all 36 cards. The thing that makes the game a little unique and a little bit of a twist is that each of the ceremonies, when you put them in front of you, will have some kind of special ability on it. So there are, and they're all unique, right? Mm-hmm. So which whichever ceremonies you are currently running with, the ones that are in front of you, those are your player powers at that moment, right? And so they're going to change throughout the game. And mm-hmm. so this is the reason why it's interesting why people can play on top of your ceremonies is you could have a player power out that says you get an extra point every time you complete ceremonies and someone else says, wow, that's annoying. You're making a lot of extra points. I'm going to place stuff on there and complete it. And when they complete it, they're going to get the points for completing it. But also you lose that power because they just took it away from you because they, they got it off of your player board. Um, There are again, like a bunch of these, there's ones that let you play multiple cards at, this, at once. There's ones that let you uh, draw cards and play them immediately. You can play, cards to more of your player your opponent's areas, kind of expand outward a little bit. Uh, You can draw extra cards when you draw cards. You can play cards to different ceremonies at the same time. You get the idea. Like they're all unique and different and you're gonna have some combination of you know up to four of these and in a two player game you can have five of these that will be active at any given time based on the cards that you have out. And that that's where all the strategy comes in right? But the thing is, because you're drawing cards from a deck, you can't always control which ones are available. Other people can take them away from you, you could plan for two turns in the future. And then all of a sudden, it's gone, because someone else is like, I'm gonna throw a couple wilds on that. And now you're done. And I took your points. (laughs) So that's fun. Uh, And and that's fine, because that's part of the game. That's the whole point of the game. But it does make it you're constantly changing. Like the powers you have in front of you are going to constantly shift and you're eventually going to want to complete your own ceremonies as well if you can because they're worth points. So it's definitely a game I think you need to play with a full player count. Uh, you need four players because you want to be able to interact with two people on either side of you and everybody should have that where, and I guess with three people, you could also do that, but then there like weird overlap happens. So it, it kind of has that little bit of a, I don't know, almost like Seven Wonders vibe of you're constantly interacting with the people right next to you. Um, at the same time, it plays quickly, and yet at the same time feels like it drags a little bit because you are still trying to get through those 36 cards. You're not building an engine or anything. You're just putting out ceremonies, trying to take advantage of that ability until they're gone, and then putting out different ones and trying to score points, right? It's a, It's a weird... Spin on a game, especially from Stefan Fell. Like, There's no point salading. You're only scoring points from like two or three possible things. It's it seems like an idea that maybe got jotted down on the back of a napkin, and he was like, "That's pretty <laughs> clever." And like, we need a theme and a game to go around. And he's like, "I don't know this." And then they they built it, and they're like, "All right, it's fine. Let's just put it out." And that's why it just got thrown up as a random Kickstarter on its own. And I, I'm making it sound worse than it is because I didn't hate it. It's fine. It's a perfectly. Decent game. It's like in that low to mid tier level of Stefan Fell games. We're like happy to have played this. I will play it again. Sure. And I would be perfectly fine with having bought it if I didn't spend $72 to get it. Because <laughs> so, it was not that's with the shipping on the Kickstarter. It was $72. So it's just this is it, man. Like these games come in and I play them and that's just like reinforces for me. Like stop buying stuff on Kickstarter. You crazy human being. Um, cause this is, this is the definition of a play game for me. This is like a six and a half, a seven out of 10. Yeah. It's fine. I'm happy with it. I'll keep it. It's whatever. But it's just, what are we doing? What is yeah. this?
1: <laughs> That's a shame.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not, again, <clears throat> I don't hate it. I don't, it, it, it's, it's a little bit more of a buyer's remorse kind of a thing. I think at this point than anything yeah. else. You know, and especially now that I'm like, I don't need to own all Stefan Feld's games. I'm like, oh, I didn't need to buy this then. (laughs) So um, I I do wish I had not purchased the game, but I don't hate it. And I I will play it again and I'll hold on to it because I think it's a game I could play with the kids. Like it's pretty simple. Each card, you need to read it once and then you know what it does. Uh, And they do have symbols on them to kind of help you out. And. It does have some clever ideas in it, which are fun to play around with. And I think because there are more ceremony types in the game than you will play with, you know, you have sixteen yeah. and you're only gonna play with twelve or ten in a two player game, then it becomes there's a decent amount of replayability to it. Sure. Right? Like I could easily see somebody sitting down and playing this and coming out and being like, This game's fantastic. I just didn't feel that way. Like I didn't feel like I got quite enough out of it. Um so there you go. That's, uh, Coco Yeah, it's Coca It's a play. I don't know. It was crazy expensive though. So not worth it. <laughs> Not worth the money.
1: <laughs> well, maybe it becomes one of those games that since it was Kickstarter, that so few people get it, that becomes like incredibly, you know, expensive and hard to get later on. Because like you said, there are those expansions and games where it's like, as we see with a lot of grail games, they're usually not, as good as advertised you know like they they built a a mystique and a lore around them and they're like they're fine they're just fine you know like you said they're like a six or a seven kind of situation i remember seeing this and actually being kind of annoyed because it was one of those things like you said this was after their super big you know kickstarter that came out and they're like and we want another 72 dollars from you yeah and i was just like but this one has nothing really upgraded. So why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> please don't don't make me buy a game like this. So uh, yeah, no, but it's, it's Feld. I mean, Feld has such a good track record that it's hard to believe that it actually wouldn't go well. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, game's fine. I mean, I, again, I don't want to oversell my reservations here. Like I'm perfectly happy with it for the quality and weight of the game. And it's honestly what I expected. I just think at this point in my collecting i'm just i'm done with this type of like meh game that i pay out out too much money for right it's too yeah. much money and like the kickstarter upgrades were like a game trays thing which i'm going to remove because stuff doesn't really fit <laughs> in it properly and then the acrylic cockapellis which are nice but i yeah. haven't actually quite figured out what they're for yet <laughs> so Jeez. um You know, and there was an expansion that came with it. Uh, I have not played with that. So I I don't actually know what that adds to the game. Which hopefully, you know, adds even more variability. That is the one thing the game has going for it. It has a lot of variability and is a clever mechanic. It's just there's no other game built around that mechanic. That's all you're doing is with the cards. And it uh, it just didn't quite do enough for
1: me. All right. So that's everything that hit the table this week. Now on to our feature review. Our feature review this week is again our favorite feature review because it's your favorites, our listeners top 20. So with that said, Anthony has tabulated, retabulated, shook it up and down, spun it around like a top, and rolled a d20 multiple times. And Anthony, what is our listeners' top 20? Yeah, so here we
0: go. We got 20 games. Uh again. We take all of your top 10 lists. We weight everything based on where you place them in your top 10s. We add them up. We spit it out. And this <laughs> is the list we get. There is some combining done here. You'll, we'll, I'll mention it when it happens. But certain versions or additions or iterations of games, people sometimes specify with or without a certain expansion. They tend to get clustered together. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but there are other times when we do separate it out. And I, we will make sure to, to let you all know when that happens. Number 20 on the list is one uh-huh. that has been mentioned to us several times in comments because we come comment on it frequently about the issues it had on Kickstarter and that's Barrage, uh, barrage! for printing creations. And I did finally <laughs> play this with my gamer friends back in Pittsburgh like a month or so before I moved and it is very good. Uh-huh. Like playing it properly, understanding what I'm supposed to do and not having a bunch of broken pieces in the box. Good game. It's just a shame it took so long to get there for me. <laughs> you
1: know? Well, I I remember playing it for the very first time with all the broken pieces and really bad rules and everything else, and I liked it. So, I mean, it's good that it's here, because, again, it's a very ambitious game. I think that's the, you know the best thing you could say about it. Like, it really does incorporate so many fantastic mechanics, and it goes all out. Like, this is a... You know, a world. It's not just like, oh, you move a little piece or you do a thing. This is like giant wheels and, you know, water and electricity and you're blocking things and you're moving things. And you're, it's just, it really is. You could almost feel like it's a heavy lift. Yeah.
0: And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's brutally complex too. And when yes. you fall behind early, you fall behind early. Like it feels <laughs> like a euro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, number 19 on the list, this is one where I kind of combine things a little bit uh, pandemic legacy. So for the most part, most people said season one, some people reference season. Nobody said only season two. Some people said season one and two. And I think one person might've said season zero, but for the most part, we'll just lump them together. Pandemic legacy emphasis season one. That seems to be the consensus favorite. And, you know, having gone through this myself, only season one, I have not played two or zero. Uh, It's fantastic. It's just great, great gaming experience. And it's the, best version of pandemic that you can play sure the challenge of course being you can only play it once so like it's fallen down every (laughs) year on my top 100 because i haven't played it now in four years and i won't because i'm not gonna play through it again uh but it's still up there for a lot of people very cool all right number 18 uh, i know this one's very high on your list chris underwater cities from our buddy vladimir suchi
1: it was my number one game of all time last year. Woo! Which means it still is. <laughs> it still is. It's 2021. So yeah. Yeah, I mean Underwater Cities again continues to impress me. It's its depth, its complexity, its uh, you know variety. And r- honestly, what really kept it on that list and moved it up even more so was the expansion. The expansion yep. with the dual set ba- bars that you could actually put the pieces in the, you know, all the extra kind of mechanics that come into play. I I mean, it's just a great game. I mean, again, like there's so many other good games in that genre. This one is just the tightest of them all. And it really lets you explore. So yeah, Underworld Cities. Nice pick, people. Love it. Yeah, I 100% (laughs)
0: concur with everything you just said. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Number 17 on the list, Gaia Project. So we've had... Terra Mystica on the list before in the past. Uh Gaia Project passed it, I think, last year. And now Terra Mystica is not on the list, but Gaia Project still very much is. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It's a very really? finely tuned, well balanced game. Terra Mystica, obviously, you know, famously kind mm-hmm. of out of the box, not super balanced, but still interesting. Sure. Uh Gaia Project's solo mode is just one of the best solo modes in a Euro game period, which don't don't shake a stick at that. That matters a lot because these games are hard to get to the table. So if you have a really good solo mode, more people play them more often. I personally haven't played this multiplayer in three years, but I've played it solo two or three times a year over that time. Nice. So that's why it's still in my top 20. Uh, yeah, it just, it's a fantastic game. And the way they tweak it and adjust it and optimize it uh, with a the new theme is perfect. Yeah, I,
1: I, it's it's always been hard with that game because... I love the world building in Terra Mystica, and I love the artwork, and both of those things are kind of missing from the Gaia Project, mm. and yet at the same time, the Gaia Project is just mechanically better. theres I don't think there's any debating that. No. It solves the problems that Terra Mystica has. Yeah. Even
0: if you don't think they're problems, you're like, well, this does it better. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who listening to this, be like, no, Terra is a better game. And I'm like, you're not wrong, because this is all subjective, but... Yeah. A lot of people see Gaia Project as a better game. And we have a couple other things on this list we're going to have that same conversation about. So <laughs> it comes up. Um, but yeah, Gaia Project, fantastic. Number 17. Nice. Uh, number 16 on the list. And this is another one where the original game was on our list in the past and now no longer is. uh Seven Wonders Duel. <gasps> so the two-player only version of Seven Wonders is up here at 16. Seven Wonders itself fell down... A fair bit. I think it's it was in the 40s. So
1: yeah, what do we think? This is one of my favorite two-player games. Oh yeah, it's one of my favorite two-player games too. And it's had two expansions. And I, I really do feel that both expansions are very good. So it's one of those weird situations. I, I guess the only thing is this, just in generally, like two-player games inhabit a very interesting pocket of the universe where they just don't get the exposure that all the other games will, because it's not a game night game. It's not a bring the f- people together. This is a two player situation. It's a head to head. It's a little more aggressive, which for, you know, Euro games, you typically don't really involve as much. So uh, I like the expansions a lot. The second one in particular, and mm. I will always play this game just I mean, the expansions I think just add so much more to the game than, than we've had previously, but no, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all that it's this far back. Cause again, it's just that very niche kind of situation where two players, but two players who can really play yeah. seven wonders Duel is not a game that you could just throw random cards at the table. Like, like they do currently with the architect version that just came out.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. This is very much uh, for, for gamers to play in between other games. Yes. Uh, Number fifteen on the list, Teotihuacan. So mm-hmm. the the epic pyramid building game from Tishini, mm-hmm. uh which had another new expansion come out sometime in the last six months. I have it, I haven't played it with it yet because <laughs> moving, um, but it's sitting here somewhere. And so at this point, this game actually has a lot of content. There are three or four expansions in. Yeah, you have variable player powers now. You have multiple different solo bots. You have sideboards, additional temple tracks it's like not a lot of euros get this much expansion and no. here we
1: are with this game now which is just sprawling i'm actually kind of surprised because again it's one of those games that like it see, it seems like it it had its day and they and they went on to make other tea themed games but since this game is still so active and dynamic it's almost like sucked the energy away <laughs> from anything else in their collection
0: yeah yeah there's been two other ones since this one um trismegistus and then Takino. and yeah. they're both good games yeah Tekino in particular is a really yeah, good yeah, game and it just you know it just kind of came out and faded away pretty quickly yeah and it's a shame because i i think they're both solid i always thought trismegistus needed an expansion you <laughs> I only played it once because it came out during the stupid COVID. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Teo is, is still one of my favorite games of all time. So it's I, I'm glad to see it up here, uh, and I think it does a good job. Nice number fourteen, favorite of mine. Infamously, not a favorite of yours. Feast for Uh-oh. We, uh. we had a long conversation. Go to uh. YouTube. Go to YouTube. <laughs> look up Boardgamers Anonymous. Uwe Rosenberg and There's a good twenty minutes of that video dedicated to three games, Feast for Odin.
1: And strangely (laughs) enough, Feast for Odin takes about the same, just same amount of time. It's like hours to play the game because the pieces are double sided and they don't make any sense how they're shaped. So
0: okay, okay, okay. Watch the video. Watch the video. Uh, I, and the funny thing is, people don't really defend me on this one. They're like, "Yeah, I don't know. I could take it or leave it." The one they defend me on is Nusfjord. They're like, "Chris, you're insane. That you don't like Nusfjord. You're crazy." That's not on our
1: list, but watch the video. It's, it's a fine. Fun. It's fine. It's it's great. just it's a fun it's a fun it's it's a generic game. It's it's a generic it's... Uwe Rosenberg game. <laughs> That's all it is. We got a video well, we got now. A video. If you want to, if you want to plant some vegetables in iceland in a in a greenhouse then no. there you no, no, no. go
0: <laughs> see we didn't have people shooting off in the comments about how we're wrong about that one
1: they're both it's, the same they're both the same not, game they're both nah, generic nah, nah, nah. uve games they're like uve nope. they're like basic uve games that's all they are no no one no one's going to remember those games when they disappear i'm just that's all i'm saying
0: <laughs> i will nope. where are my tiny little metal coins little nah, tiny metal get, coins yeah All right, moving on, moving on. Uh, Number 13, Mm -hmm. PAX Premier 2nd Edition from Cole Worley and Worley Good Games. This is just a fantastic reimplementation of an old game. Like Mm -hmm. the old game was inaccessible. It was hard to learn. It was in a little tiny box. It just, not many people had it. Not many people played it and it was difficult to get out. The 2nd Edition just fixed everything. Beautiful artwork, beautiful cloth board, all these little monolith things you put out there is the roads and the troops just fantastic game all around
1: yeah again it's another one of those games that the way that how they brought that game back out really did um did a good some good right a solid good it, it was the game of the moment for for quite some time and it did get a lot of play out there and it's just one of those situations where I'm 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 really glad that i had the opportunity to play it because I wouldn't have played it otherwise. And I really enjoyed it. It's a very dynamic, challenging game. So yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, And one of the things I think it does best, and we're seeing this more and more in games in general, is it treats its theme with respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these games are like, oh, there's a war. Let's take that. And there's these factions. And then they do these <laughs> yeah. cool things. And more and more, it's we're kind of coming to the conclusion, like, that's not really okay. Like, you need to... Do the research and build the, the the characters in the world or whatever it is you're doing, with respect. And Pax Premier mm-hmm. really does that. So it's true. Uh Number
1: twelve, man. Why is Agricola gotta beat Feast for Odin guys? I'm telling you, because the people have good taste. They have nah. the taste. The people have nah. spoken.
0: Agricola. There's like a ten point difference by the way in the voting. So I think the people are just like.
1: They're the same. No, They're the same no, 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 <laughs> uh, no, no. Ah, come on, Agricola. Agricola is his magnus opus, right? I mean, it's it is sustenance farming. It is misery farming. Misery it farming. Is, yes. It, yeah. No. I, I I agree. It's misery farming. I I totally do. It's like those people who eat those super hot peppers or hot sauce kind of situation it's like <laughs> you're, you are in a bad spot and you have to literally i guess in figure or figuratively dig your way out of it because like you are plowing those fields by flipping tiles and such like that but you are plowing those fields you're planting those grains and vegetables and you have all your animals out there and you're trying to feed your family otherwise the world feels like it's coming to an end and somehow you're able to do it and somehow you're able to make a couple of bucks and it really is thematic for the time and for the experience and there is an endless number of like card combinations that you can play because all those different decks that allow you to play with us so many different strategies and Anthony, I, I I think it's also kind of interesting that we have a Grickly here but not, or I don't know if I should, you know spoil it here a little bit because I don't want to spoil it but, uh Ooh, man, we don't have caverna on here. We don't. No. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny because
0: a caverna came out yeah. eight years ago and mm-hmm. it shot up and people are like, oh, this is Agricola refined and better. And then over the years it's kind of faded back a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And Agricola just yeah. stayed exactly where it was. Like true. It didn't get up, didn't go down. It's just
1: like it's steady, steady running. Agricola so. is is definitely an experience. It's definitely a painful experience at times, but it's uve rosenberg's best game if you haven't played it please try it it's going to break your heart a couple of times but it's worth it says you <laughs> <laughs> says the people yeah
0: people i love you yes. people
1: Woo, you got, the people spoken
0: yeah i can't argue <laughs> with the people all right all right all right so moving on to another game that i'm actually pretty bad at so i don't know why i like it so much uh anachrony um, there you go this is a big, sprawling, ridiculously themed, ridiculously overwrought and overly designed uh, worker placement game uh, mm-hmm. from our friends at Mind Clash about time travel and the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really fun. So um, you, sure. you basically charge up your little mechs and you send them out to do stuff, but then you got to get your people back and make sure that they're rested and you have enough water for everything. Uh obviously the, the centerpiece of this game is the time travel mechanic, which is such a simple thing. But every time someone sees it for the first time, they're like, that's so clever.
1: <laughs> it's not even that clever. It's just no one else thought to do it. It's cool. <laughs> so... Yeah. My clash does thematic gameplay. Just they go all out. They throw everything in the kitchen sink in there. And, and here with the miniatures, that miniature expansion really ups the game. And I'm usually not yeah. that kind of person's advocating for, boxes of plastic but it really does a good job of making you feel like you're in an otherworldly kind of situation um i prefer to carry on, but anachrony is great i own it as well and again like you said that mechanic is just so smart like like you said anthony anytime you teach that game to somebody and then yeah. you just wait for that moment that you teach them that part of it where they can go back they can take resources from the past but then they have to pay if they're just like whoa I'm like yeah no <laughs>
0: yeah no, hundred percent. Yeah. And this is one of those weird rare games that and I'm I'm I love playing games that I'm not necessarily good at, but this game in particular I just have not wrapped my head around for some reason. Sure. And I will still sit down and play it every time it hits the table because it's just like it's an experience. You know? Wow. All right. So number 10 on the list. Uh it's another kind of classic game that's just always right here, steady, steady running. Uh mm-hmm. Orleans. And yeah. this is one where some people put in specific expansions that they like. Uh, sure. Trade and intrigue pops up a lot. Yeah. But I kind of lump them together because Orleans is Orleans and yeah. the version of it you play is still part of that core game. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not like someone said Altiplano and I threw that in with Orleans. That's a different <laughs> game and it's not as good. No. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. Cute llama, but not as good of a game. <sighs> so, yeah, bag building at its best. It's got that you know, medieval French artwork, which is mm-hmm. still unique. No one else is doing it that way. Uh, I I don't own this anymore because I just never got it to the table, but I would still play it if it, If someone's like, we're playing Orleans. I'm like, I'm all in. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, I, I really like this game. Again, it's one of those kind of very subtle kind of pleasures in board gaming that it's just, it's so refined and it's so engaging each step of the way because the bag pulling kind of mechanic, which obviously you've seen a lot, lot more games now, but that one is just such, such nice clean, you know, the board, you know, what you're going to have an opportunity to take an action with. There really isn't any major big twists and turns. Obviously the, you know, what happens that year, that little mini deck kind of, you know, gives a little twist, but never really, never really throws the game. So it's very fine. It's very um, straightforward, interesting game. It The only thing I will say is that it needs an expansion or at the very least, you need to have more technologies. If you play the base game without, at the very least, the additional technologies, it becomes a rail game. Like there is just certain actions better than others. There are certain ways to win the game. Um, but despite that, it's just, it's a phenomenal game. It really is. It's, 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 It's the best game that, at least in my opinion, Tasty Mitchell games ever put out. So, yeah, big fan of Orleans. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like,
0: Yokohama being a a close second for me,
1: personally. Sure.
0: Uh, All right, number nine, Viticulture. This is Mm -hmm. another one of those games that's just been up here on the list for a very long time. Uh, Yeah. Stonemaier Games put this out way back in the day when they were just getting off the ground. (laughs) It's a tiny little company before they became the, the maker of... Two games still to come on our list, uh. So, it it's you know wine growing, it's wine selling, it's wine buying. I I like this game. I always liked this game, but it's another one of those games like Orleans that it just didn't hit the table for me. Um, sure. in terms of like that kind of entry weight, worker placement game, and it's not the theme. Like I have Vinos, that's one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. That's a much heavier take on wine growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. But it is one of those games in the worker placement category that really clicks with a lot of people, and especially people who don't like traditional board game themes. You know, like non-gamers are all about this thing.
1: Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to the Agricola situation where there are so many action spots that you want to take that you can't possibly take in one game. So when you get your family of workers out there to, to the vineyard, There's that spring, summer, fall, winter mechanic, and you have to save up people, even though each spot is like almost incredibly necessary to win the game. And then you throw in those, that giant deck of like different cards that kind of really upend the, you know, your time on the vineyard, all these different guests that come in and kind of give you different radical player powers. It's fun, but it is very kind of swingy those yeah. cards really do swing the game dramatically. Um, in a fun way, but also in a, you know, crazy way. And also with, you know, kind of like you have to like race down the track so the game can continue to going for a long time based yeah. upon how everyone else is doing. But just that simple mechanic of aging the wine, moving down that little glass, I guess not necessarily a marble, but just like that little glass piece so that you can see it age. You can combine the different ones. It's just it's just a very smart, complete game. The Essential Edition, the Tuscany Edition, I think are the required editions in this game because otherwise uh, you're just... It's, it's a little <laughs> overly chancy and, again, swingy, but it does tighten up with the later editions. So I know this is a big game for a lot of people, and it's not surprising why. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: next up on the list, similar category... Uh, in terms of games, it reaches a, a wider audience. It's more sure. accessible. It does a lot of things that we're familiar with in the hobby in terms of mechanics, and it does it in yes. a way it's very accessible to a wide audience. Mm-hmm. And that's Wingspan, also from Stonemeyer Games. Yeah, uh, It's, you know, when it first came out, people compared it to engine builders like Terraforming Mars or something. But it, at this point, it's probably sold three times as many copies as yeah. Terraforming Mars. So sure. we should probably be carrying, comparing games to Wingspan. Uh, it's... It's just a phenomenon of a game, and mechanically speaking, you know, it did it never clicked for me quite as much as mm-hmm. some other people. But expansions, additional content, different ways to play the game—some of the errata over over the years has definitely tightened up the game a lot. Sure, um, it's one I definitely want to revisit because uh, I, I feel like it should be higher on my list personally. I just have not played it as much as I should have since it first came out.
1: Yeah, there. I mean, there is there is those problems. I remember even like being in jamie's like q a section where they're like hey if i put these two cards together i win the game because it's just their feeder cards for each other and he's like yeah that's that that's probably true that that's probably right (laughs) and you're just like oh no and and i have played that game so many times where you feel like you're playing perfectly and you're managing everything every what you know so well and someone has like you know stack a card underneath your bird card if he does a thing and then it's just it's like rising And you're like that's not that doesn't seem right but again like you said there is there's been upgrades and changes the expansions allow different things to happen so it's not just a one kind of card strategy so yeah i think the european edition or european expansion is essential to this i the oceanic i haven't played yet so I'm not too sure how much more that adds with the nectar and things like that, but it is an incredibly solid, smart, interesting, engaging game. And it, it has honestly thought everything out. I think that's the thing people appreciate about wingspan is like every element of the game down to the, you know, the dice tower is thematically kind of appealing the the bird facts is amazing. So yeah, wingspan, you and I went back and forth on this, like the over-under. I I, I think it's still growing. I think we, we yeah. haven't seen the end of Wingspan. No, definitely not. Yeah.
0: Uh, number seven on the list, uh, we talked about Stefan Feld earlier. This is his most famous game, and sure. will probably remain that way, despite being one of his earlier games. Crazy. Castles of Burgundy.
1: It's crazy, because again, I, I really like this game. I own the original copy. I've... Chased down expansions for years and played way too much money for these like separate individual <laughs> boards, only to have the thing reprinted underneath me. And I'm just like, cool, yeah. And I've bought the digital versions, and they do not play exceptionally well. And but you know what? I'm I'm really surprised. I mean, I'm I'm I guess I'm happy. I mean, I I do enjoy Castles of Burgundy, but I'm so surprised that all of the other Feld games did not surpass Castles of Burgundy. I I don't know what that's about. Because there, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? What do you think it is about Castles of Burgundy that's not found in all of his other games? And I mean that. All of his other games.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it just has the right mix of complexity and accessibility, right? Mm. It's not it's not a crazy complex game with like 500 mechanics and four sideboards and all the things going on. Right. It's not a Mm -hmm. a heavier game. Like there's games of his that I really enjoy, like Amerigo uh, or, or Trajan that do a lot of really cool things, but they're, they're bigger. They're harder to teach. They take longer to play. Sure. This game is, you know, you roll your dice and you take one of a selection of actions based on the number on the dice that's that's basically it and you're just trying mm-hmm. to put tiles onto your board it's surprisingly focused for a feld game because a lot of the yes. games they sprawl a little bit so yeah and i like the sprawl but in this case the sprawl is contained to that map So sure. i think that helps a lot like just mm. purely mechanically it's it's not the theme like nobody's like oh my gosh you know <laughs> medieval castles in burgundy rendered very uglily on this little tile like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not it um It's the accessibility of the game. And I think for a long time, the game was really inexpensive. Like you could get this game on Amazon back in the day for 25 bucks. I don't know what it costs now, but for like a decent chunky Euro three and a half weight, like you, there there aren't many games that fit that. And this one was one of those. So yeah, this
1: was, this was the original point salad game, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. And those scores will run up, but it's a funny thing. It's like, it's a point salad, but at the end of the day, you're placing tiles onto a map. That's all you're sure. doing, right? And it's just it does a bunch of stuff after that, which I think mm-hmm. people like. All right, number six is uh, the newest game on the list uh, by a long shot. This is from last year, and mm-hmm. this this one jumped up on my personal <laughs> list as well when it came out. Lost Ruins of Arnok. So we've got worker placement, and we got deck building, and we've got exploration of ruins, and it works so well. Just, yes, and it it hit the hobby just kind of it dropped in the middle of the pandemic. So a lot of people were playing this solo. And then once people Mm -hmm. started to get it out and play it with each other, and especially once it went up online where you could play it online with other people, it like, it just kind of exploded from there. Like, Oh my gosh, this game's actually really, really good. It all player counts. (laughs) And now that expansion is like one of the most anticipated things of the year. Uh, I'm not surprised to see it jump up so high. Like it did for me, it might even be a little higher on my list now than it was last year. And it's one of my favorite solo games in this genre. Like, just mm-hmm. deck builder worker placement
1: type of Euro game. Mm-hmm. It's it's so much fun. Yeah, I think the expansion is gonna rocket it. I I think, like you said, it came out during the pandemic. I feel like in a lot of ways it was the best game in the pandemic. I'm just saying that without thinking about any other game, but right. that was the game that came out and like everything was good about it. Like just everything was good. It wasn't it wasn't as exceptional as some of the other games, but everything about this game was good. And now that they have the expansion with that asymmetrical player powers, I'm just like, of course you did, because that makes yeah sense and stuff yeah. like that. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so number five
0: on the list, and we're getting some familiar stuff here, is Scythe. Uh, we, we've talked about Scythe like 400 <laughs> times on this podcast. <laughs> I have not played this thing in years, and my copy is actually not even in my main room here; it's in the basement. Mm. Um, I still want to get back to it, but it's just have not had the people if, with interest and my own interest has waned. So I'll let you
1: speak to it. Cause I think you like this game a lot more than yeah, I do. I, I don't know if it was my, it was at least my number two at some point. I actually have it right over here. Uh, Scythe was a. Like really well done Euro game that had some kind of battle mechanics. And that was a major plus and a negative at the same time, but it was so well done that it was like a Nolan movie. Like even though it had plot holes in it, somehow it was still like fantastic. And (laughs) then they added the two expansions, which neither one of them, like I feel like elevated the game. Like, Oh cool. Two more factions. Love having more factions. Totally down for that airships. Excellent. Not as exceptional as I thought they were going to be, but fine. And then they came out with rise of Fenris and I was like, okay, this is a great game now. Like this is like no questions. The fact of the customization of your faction and the additional factions that come in, in that kind of game and how radically different they are from each other. It just, it really upped the game to the next level. So again, and I would say this to you, Anthony, I know I've said this to you several times. If your love of Scythe has waned, if you do have a copy of this, I know it's expensive. You're right. The writing inside of it is not great. The storytelling is not great. But the mechanical components to Rise of Fenris with Scythe is exceptional. I, I was, I was, I mean, I read through every page of that. I, we played it at the game night. I was like, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you actually play the game and you're just like, oh my goodness. And then again, Like, going back to Charterstone, which was supposed to be this game that you played once, like a legacy-style game, and then you could play it afterwards, and nobody wanted to play that game after they played it the first time. This game, once we played Scythe and we ran through the expansion as far as, like, the content, the legacy content's concerned, the pieces that continued with the game really made this game a much better game. So, no doubt, no surprise, number five. Awesome, yeah. Yep. someday I'm gonna get back to it. It's gonna happen someday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> number four, Spirit
0: Island. Uh, yeah, I'll just say it: best cooperative game out there. Period. Uh, with the expansion content, Jagged Earth, just elevating that to an entire different level. Uh, and yeah, it's just one of my favorite games of all time. Has been up there for since it came out, effectively. And I played a bunch like the few months before I moved out of Pittsburgh. It kind of hit the table a lot, so it just kind of rediscovered my joy for this game and so much replayability especially if you have the expansion because you have dozens now of different spirits and different combinations of them uh just a fantastic game
1: excellent totally agree
0: number three gloomhaven uh this was higher on i think both of our lists at one point but it's one of those games that you just it's so much content it's like it's like when someone says you can have as much ice cream as you want. And so for the first 20 minutes, you're like, yeah. And then eventually you're like, I should stop. And then eventually you're like, I hate ice cream. I don't I want too. no more ice I cream. Really do. <laughs> um, that's Gloomhaven for me. <laughs> like, it's for me. I too. Still have it. I I've only threw like twenty-five percent of the content even, and I just still haven't gone back to it. But yeah, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant game. It's you know, it's it's messy, it's not the cleanest thing in the world, but that's what makes it so brilliant it's just it's a lot it's a lot of game <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, number two on the list Brass Birmingham mm-hmm. specifically Birmingham I even oh, got- I think two people said Lancaster and it was, no, Brass Birmingham still had a ton of votes uh, so it's funny like what a handful of tweaks to that game did for it um, and you know a beautiful rendition of it as well like fantastic mm-hmm. artwork on the board fantastic updates to everything in the box the poker chips, all of it. Fantastic. The iron clays, I should say. Yes. Um, but the beer mechanic, combined with the, the way the, you know, the exporting of everything works now, just makes Birmingham, you know, just one of the all-time great Euro games. Brass was already good. Birmingham took it up a notch.
1: See, I'll, I'll take it a step further. Like, the first time playing Brass, our friend Dave dragged me to the table to play this thing, and I almost hated it ever, at every moment the production was honestly one of the worst if not the worst productions in a mains you know mainstream euro game that i had ever seen i mean go back please take a look it, you would be shocked how much better it is now than it than it was and it was one of those situations where like you're playing the game and you're taking out debt in order to do something and you're like this doesn't feel good right i don't like the idea that literally like I have to lose in order to hopefully kind of win. And I was just like, I don't ever want to play this. I'm done. I said, I, could pl- I played this, this Brett, you know, this brass game and this grail game never needs to be played again. And then Lancaster and Birmingham came out and I'm just like, Oh, this looks so much better. I wonder if there's, you know, any kind of small tweaks. And Lancaster was fine. I'm like, Oh, this is good. And then Birmingham is like, Oh no, no, no. This is probably one of the best games of all time. How yeah. did you do that? What the heck, man? I don't know what's going on here, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand how they did that, but it's great. You it, know? It's like on paper, it doesn't look
0: like that many changes, but then you play it and you're like, it's so good. What
1: happened? Yeah, the variety, um, the variability of the, where the markets kind of show up and the addition of beer in the game, it just adds so much more to the game. And again, the card mechanic and how you build everything out. I mean, it does if you if you're like a hardcore you're a gamer and you play Brass, you're like why is other people using my stuff? Like yeah. that doesn't really feel great. They're taking stuff off my stuff, but then once you kind of get in the flow of it, you're like that's how you start building the game. Mm-hmm. You want your stuff to get flipped. You want people to use your stuff. And the Birmingham with the the changes in the beer and stuff like that, it's just it's a great game. Like it's one of those things, it's one of those games you always want to play it, no matter what you're doing. It's just like, it's going to be a modern day classic again, somehow. I don't know how they did that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And the
0: app is fantastic, by the way, that also came out during the pandemic. So yeah. Uh, Number one was also number one last year and possibly the year before. Uh, People keep saying this game is on the decline Uh, this year, especially they're like, Oh, Ares expedition is going to kill it. Terraforming Mars. Still number one by, you know, a very healthy margin, like even more so than last year. It got almost double the points over Brass Birmingham uh, in terms of number of people who voted for it, and where they put it on their lists. So I don't know. I don't know if anything's a terraforming Mars killer at this point. It just it keeps chugging along. People are all about this game. As ugly as it is, it keeps going.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really hard to tell what is what is behind the the staying power of this game other than it's really just mechanically a great game and again it it yeah. has that really nice combination of the board and the cards and somehow it plays out really well. Like the, we we mentioned with some of these other games that like there were certainly tw- you know tweaks and errata that had to come in and fix certain things where like certain corporations were underpowered or The fact that someone could build all day and not terraform kind of threw the game out or made a game hours. But somehow it's always that little game that still somehow just does it so incredibly well and just hits that sweet spot. Um, Definitely some expansions are better than other. You always want to play with Prelude. Um, you know, And then other ones are kind of hit and miss throughout the way. And I've I've had my strong feelings either way. (laughs) But I, I still own Terraforming Mars and a lot of the expansions. And again, great game yeah absolutely
0: uh so just quick mention we had eight games fall off the list from last time seven wonders i mentioned marvel champions great western trail clank azul root quacks of quedlinburg and concordia which was number four last time uh this time i believe was number like 25 so that one fell down a lot more than i expected especially with the app just coming out so sure interesting
1: all right. Well, again, thank you all who took the time to answer our survey on your top 10 games leading to our listeners' top 20. It's, again, a fantastic list. We love all these games. We're so grateful that you put that together. Please jump on Facebook and Twitter and discuss. Uh, let people know how your games are the favorites, especially the Uve game. Eh? 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 Just yeah. saying. <laughs> 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 all right. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye.